0: Welcome again to our Easter service. It's so good to see each and every one of you here. Those of you that are here upstairs in the auditorium, those of you that are downstairs in the fellowship hall watching with us, and those of you online, we are so happy to have you celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. When Robert came up to read scripture and earlier when Mark opened up our time in worship, they said, he is risen, and you responded That was like secret code for the early church. When you met another believer, another follower of Jesus passing in the street, you could say, he is risen. And they would answer, he is risen So you're in the club. You're part of that group. And it's so good to know Jesus Christ. This morning we sang about Jesus crucified. And this morning we're singing about him risen again. As we remember, as we commemorate Jesus Christ this morning, we started last week getting to know Peter, one of his closest disciples. And this morning, we're going to continue that look into a life of Peter. We're going to go through a number of different passages because I want you to hear God's word. Hear what it says about this close follower of Jesus. He had his ups and his downs. He had his good days and his bad days. He had times when he was so on fire for the Lord that he was willing to do anything. And then he reached the very lowest point. And we're going to talk about that this morning. If it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for the resurrection, there would have been no hope for Peter. And there would be no hope for you and for me. As Mark mentioned earlier, there are online notes, especially for those of you watching online with us, faithlife.com slash Dunkirk Baptist. And you can follow along with that. If you got a bulletin as you came in this morning, there's also a note sheet in there. And if you're someone who likes to jot down notes, it'll help you follow along and you'll know when this message just might end. It will end, (laughs) but it ends in good news. So hang in there with me. I'm just going to mention two short episodes from the life of Peter from last week because they help set up who this man was. The first one was found in Matthew 4, 18 to 20. Jesus saw two brothers, Andrew and Simon, casting their nets out into the Sea of Galilee, and he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Scripture says they immediately left their nets, left their boats, left their livelihood, and followed this man that they hoped really was the Messiah. History tells us that there were a number of people in those days that went around saying, I'm the Messiah, follow me. And here was another, this Jesus of Nazareth. The religious leader said, this can't be the Messiah. He's from the country. He's from way up north. He can't be the Messiah. But Peter and Andrew, James and John, and the rest of the disciples were following him. They followed him for three years. These men were... Rough and tumble fishermen, many of them coarse in language, not dressed the best, not smelling the best, but they followed Jesus because they believed that he was the Messiah. And then the last week as we ended up, we saw Peter at the Last Supper in Matthew 26. Jesus told his disciples at least three times already that he was going to die, that he must die But he would rise again. He would rise again in three days. And somehow that kept missing them. They kept not noticing that he was saying this. Because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah. How could he die? How could he save them from Rome if he died? They just didn't understand that. But after this supper, this time of fellowship together, and we we celebrate that, that at Good Friday, Jesus looked at them and said, You're all going to desert me. You're going to scatter. You're going to disappear. Not one of you is going to stay with me. And Peter, being the bold one again, stood up and said, Lord, I will never deny you. I will not fall away. And Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, before the rooster crows three times when morning comes, you will have already denied me three times. And Peter said, never, I will never deny you, Lord. I would even die for you. And the rest of the disciples quickly chimed in and said, yes, Lord, we would die for you too. Today, we pick up that story in Matthew 26. Jesus took three of the closest disciples after that dinner and said, I'm going to pray. I need some time alone with my father. Please watch and stay with me while I do that. Peter, James, and John, just wait here while I just go just a short distance from you. I need to pray. Listen to Matthew 26, 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep, and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus, because of the miracle of the incarnation, which means God in the flesh, was totally human, and yet at the same time still totally God. This was the only way that he could be the sacrifice for us. Humanly, he was struggling deeply as he thought about the torture that was in front of him. He knew about the crucifixion. He knew the pain and the agony that lay in front of him. So as a human being, he cried out to God and said, if there's any other way... Let's do that instead. But he looked at his father in prayer and said, but if it's your will, I'm ready to go forward. I will drink that cup of sorrow. He checked on his disciples. He checked twice, but they kept falling asleep as he prayed, as he poured out his heart to God, Peter James and John were not able to stay awake and pray with Jesus. They had failed. As the Son of God, Jesus was saying to his Father, you're going to turn your back on me. I'm going to take on the sins of the world as the sacrifice. I'm so sorry, my microphone is not just staying on my ear. I need you, God. I need your strength to be able to do this. The thought of you turning away from me as the sins of the world are piled on my shoulders is just too much for me to bear. But finally, as Jesus prayed hour after hour, he yielded his will to the Father's will and said, I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready, Father. Whatever you need to do, I want to do it. That prayer that Jesus offered up, your will but not mine, is a prayer that we should be saying. And just as Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, as he taught them earlier, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He taught that in what we call the Lord's Prayer. That should be part of your prayer every morning, part of my prayer. Lord, lead me not to follow temptation. Don't let me give in to sin. 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul said, God is not going to let you be tested or tempted beyond what you can control, what you can handle. He's always going to provide strength and courage for you. He's going to provide a way for you to endure the temptation. But he gives us the strength to do that through power of prayer. He tells us, ask God for that strength, and he will give it to you. Father, deliver me from evil. And keep me from temptation. Obeying his word is how we follow him. And how we do his will. Well as we continue on with Peter's story. Next we're just following along in chapter 26 verses 47 to 56. While he was still speaking Judas came. One of the twelve and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came to Jesus at once and said, greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword, and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then? Should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so. And at that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Judas One of the twelve disciples, one who had followed him for three years, seeking the Messiah, betrayed Jesus with a kiss. The Gospel of John tells us that it was Peter, he was the disciple who quickly drew his sword and tried to defend Jesus. And Jesus said, Don't you think that my father could send twelve legions of angels to me? In the Roman army, a legion meant forty-eight, I'm sorry, a legion was thousands of men. So this could be 48 to 72,000 people, 12 legions. So when Jesus said 12 legions of angels could show up and fight this battle for me, he's talking about 72,000 angels. Imagine that sight descending through the skies. And Jesus said, that's the power that my heavenly father has. He could rescue me at any moment. But I'm here. To do his will. How would the scriptures be fulfilled. If God stepped in. And stopped this sacrifice from happening. The Old Testament prophecies. Could only be fulfilled. If Jesus went through. All the way. To the cross. Verse 56 ended by saying. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Jesus. Jesus knew this was coming. He had just told them this as they ended their supper, but it still must have felt like a punch in the gut. These 12 men that lived with you, that ate with you, that traveled all around the countryside, day after day, spending all this time with you, disappeared when trouble came. Every one of them. But God, his father, was still with him. He was not alone, even in that darkest moment. In the next few verses, Jesus was led to Caiaphas, the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. He said he was going to stay with him, and he almost did. He watched from a distance, and he waited in the outer courtyard. He didn't quite completely abandon Jesus. But his lowest point is coming next. Verses 69 to 79. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And then he went out to the entrance a little further away. Another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystander, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Luke chapter 22 adds this additional painful fact. The Lord turned as he was being beaten and tortured in that courtyard as they were making fun of him and questioning him. He turned as Jesus, as Peter said for the third time, I don't know him, and he looked directly into Peter's eyes. He heard what Peter had said. He heard him arguing, denying Jesus, cursing the people around him, cursing himself. Peter totally failed. He left weeping bitterly because he knew he had done exactly what he said he wouldn't do. He probably thought, there's just no recovering from this. I've denied Jesus. I've denied my friend. I've denied the Messiah. I'm going to turn over to the Gospel of John for you to hear what happened next. John 19:16 to 30. They took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. That inscription is where they would list the sins of the person being crucified. Those were the sins of Jesus. He was the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said... I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers had crucified Jesus. They took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it should be. And this was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was done, was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The women disciples, did you know there were women disciples? The 12 disciples who followed him day in and day out were all men, men that he called out. But there were also women who were disciples that followed him. His mother, Mary, at the foot of the cross, And it says, with the disciple whom he loved. This is the gospel of John written by the disciple, John. And he never describes himself in the first person. He always uses the third person. So he says, the disciple that Jesus loved. They were standing there together. Verse 30, Jesus said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he died. He didn't just mean This is it. I'm dying. It's finally over. It has a much deeper meaning. When Jesus died on the cross, the Passover lamb, the perfect sacrifice, was dying for you and for me, for the sins of the world. He paid the price for our sins, and he made the way for us to be saved and to have eternal life. Hebrews tells us about this once-and-for-all sacrifice, it's Hebrews 9, 12-14, Then I'm just going to mention a couple other verses. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh, how much more? will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. How much more will that purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And then over in chapter 10, And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was talking about completing the will of his Father. He completed the redemption plan that God had put into place right from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve first sinned, God said, there is a plan in place. And through the Old Testament, we saw that start to unveil. They started offering sacrifices for their sins. And there was the promise of a Messiah who would save them once for all. All of those years of blood being poured out for the sins of the people pointed to this moment in time, this turning event of history, when the calendar started all over again with one, the birth of Jesus the whole world changed and realized here was the ending of the sacrifice system here was the perfect lamb of god offered once for all for all of our sins he's the reason that we celebrate this morning jesus christ is risen he is and he's the hope that was still holding out for peter John 20 verses 1 to 10. Now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, and while it was still dark, saw that the tomb, that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Who is that? John. She said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. You love that John included that? He was the one that won the race. He reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Simon Peter came, probably panting out of breath, and following him, he went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Because Jesus was fully man, he was able to physically bleed and die on the cross. But because he was fully God, he was able to take on your sins and my sins. The Bible says the payment for sins is death, eternal separation from God. And on the cross, Jesus paid your penalty. He paid my penalty. Instead of us having to die eternally and remain separated from God, he died in your place, in my place. We just don't measure up to God's perfect holiness. His standard is sinless perfection. Only Jesus attained that because he came fully God and yet fully man. His resurrection provides the way for our sin to be forgiven. Not just temporarily like the blood of the lambs and the goats, but forgiven, wiped clean, standing before God, righteous and whole. With a sure promise of eternal life a restoration to a relationship with God that lasts forever. As usual, Peter rushed in when he got to the tomb. He didn't wait. He didn't just poke his head and look around. He just ran straight in. Where is Jesus? He saw the empty tomb. He knew that Jesus was gone. But it says they still didn't understand that he had risen, even though he had told them numerous times. And John again describing himself as the other disciple, says not only did he get there first, but he believed. John understood and believed, even though Peter was still worried what had happened to Jesus. I'm not going to read it right now, but in Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 16, verses 6 to 8, the angel said to Mary, go tell the disciples and Peter, that he's going to meet you in Galilee. The Lord specifically mentions Peter because he knew that he needed this assurance. He needed this boost after reaching that lowest point, after denying Jesus over and over again. The angel wanted Peter to hear that Jesus is risen and that he would meet you in Galilee. We're going to watch a video and see what this conversation might have looked like.
1: Peter, stop! We'll get the guys to help with the search and then we'll divide up, All right? We'll have Andrew take the north, Bartholomew will take the bottom... Peter, stop! Look, I'm just as confused about this as you are. Someone stole him. That's the only logical explanation, John. Wait, 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 okay? Look, what we witnessed today... The guards, they took him. We have to move swiftly. We have to rebury the body properly. Peter, stop! Okay. We need to go tell the others. Tell them what? What we saw. We saw nothing. Exactly. John, do you not understand that they are trying to stop us? That's why Jesus kept waking us up to pray. That's why they got to Judas. That's why... That's why they arrested Jesus. Just the other day, I was looking at him. I was looking him in the eye and I I told him that I loved him and that I would follow him to the ends of the earth. (laughs) He was supposed to be our king. He is the king. When we were in the tomb, I remember something Jesus said. The linens were just lying there. They they were just lying there. No, no. Think bigger. Look, all of this, all of it was supposed to be preparing us for this moment, for that empty tomb. We just couldn't see it. Couldn't see what? Okay. when Mary came back and said that the tomb was empty and that the angel of the Lord was there, that's when it started to come back. John, enough. We can reminisce about this later. Jesus is missing. We have to go find him. He's not missing. That's the point. Look, he was trying to tell us about this. Jesus was preparing us for this. He's risen. Peter, he's a different kind of king and he always was. (sighs) Peter, you remember that night Jesus ask us who we thought he was? When he called me Satan? Yeah. Yeah, I called him... Lord. Lord. Lord of all, Peter. We just didn't understand. But he's gone. No. He's risen. He did it. 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 it. Peter, he's risen. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen. He did it. Do you hear that, world? He's risen. He's risen. He's risen.
0: He is risen. Peter had a very special, very personal visit from Jesus. And this is recorded again only in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. It's really hard going from that screen back to my Bible. I'm going to stay there for a minute. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Peter is back home in Galilee with the other disciples. And he announced something like, well, I guess I'll go fishing. So the rest of them said, let's go with you. Does this mean that maybe he thought his days of following Jesus were over? Just like when they first met, Jesus showed up at the shore after a night without catching a single fish. And somehow they didn't realize it was Jesus standing on the shore. He called out to them, children, have you caught anything? I don't know if he was making fun of them, saying, little boys, how's your fishing going? But they said, we've caught nothing. And Jesus says, try the other side. Now, do you think through the whole night they hadn't tried both sides of the boat? They tried everywhere. And he said, put your nets on the right side. And of course, the net quickly filled with fish right to capacity, which is exactly what happened when they first met and the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is? Looked at Peter and said, it's the Lord. This is exactly what happened before. Peter. Peter's reaction was priceless. He jumps into the water and swims to shore a hundred yards. After fishing all night long, he has the strength and the excitement about seeing Jesus that he wants to be there before anybody else does. And Jesus already had a fire, already had fish on it, already had bread. He didn't need their fish. He was ready to provide them with a meal, with fellowship, spending time with him, talking, maybe laughing, enjoying time together. There's no mention of them scattering and leaving Jesus alone through the crucifixion. He offered them friendship reconciliation, forgiveness. But then Jesus had something special to ask of Peter and of him alone. Listen to these last couple of verses. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Did you notice what Jesus called Peter? Simon, son of Jonah. He used his old name, maybe to remind Peter of the days before he was following him. Jesus had given him a new name, Peter, which means rock, the foundation. I'm going to build my church on you and the other disciples. But he calls him Simon, which meant one who hears. Are you listening, Peter? Do you love me? In English, we lose this because it's the same word. Love, yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And it it sounds kind of like an odd conversation. Why would Jesus keep asking him over and over again? In Greek, there's a nuance between these words of love. Jesus is saying, do you love? love me. Are you fully committed to me? Will you follow me anywhere? Are you all in, Peter? Do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord. I care a lot about you. I think you're great. I love you. And so Jesus said again, are you committed? Will you follow me? And Peter said, you know I love you. I care about you. You're, you're the Lord. And the third time, do you love me? And Peter is upset now. Why do you keep asking me this? You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. I reverse those words, but you see them on the screen. Jesus was asking for a full commitment. Are you all in, Peter? He asked him three times. How many times did Peter deny knowing Jesus? Three times. For every time that he said, I don't know this man, he wanted Peter to say, I love you, Lord. He wanted to say to Peter, will you follow me? You promised you would. You said you wouldn't leave me for anything. You said you would die for me. And yet, you denied even knowing me. You cursed the people that asked that question Do you love me, Peter? Peter knew how miserably he had failed. Earlier, Jesus had explained to his disciples that loving Jesus meant obeying him, following his example. Everything he said as the Son of God was something they needed to hear, obey, and follow. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Loving me does not mean being excited about me on a Sunday or wearing a Jesus shirt or a cross around your neck. Loving me means following me, being totally committed. Peter, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to do that to the very end? And as Jesus describes these last words, Peter, you're going to stretch out your hands in death. We learn from history that Peter was crucified for following Jesus. He stretched out his hands in death, and people carried him where he didn't want to go. But he was ready, finally, to follow Jesus to the very end. He was ready, he was committed, and Jesus heard that. Peter, who had failed so completely, so utterly, was now fully redeemed. He knew that there was hope in Jesus Christ, not only because he saw the risen Lord, but now he knew he was ready to follow him to the very end. Peter went on to preach a clear gospel message in Jerusalem at Pentecost. You can read that about that in the beginning of Acts. It says that thousands of people became followers of Jesus Christ. Here was this rough and tumble fisherman who couldn't keep his mouth closed couldn't keep from jumping into the water all the time, who had failed Jesus so miserably, he stood and shared the gospel and thousands of people became followers of Jesus. He then went on to write two of the words, two of the books of the Bible, 1 and 2 Peter, letters to the early church that were so encouraging. We went through 1 Peter just earlier this year and earlier last year, the end of last year. There's hope In following Jesus Christ. If Peter could come back from this low point in his life. Can you? Do you love Jesus? Or do you love Jesus? With a full commitment. Are you ready to obey him? Even the hard stuff. Even the loving your neighbor. Even the forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it. Are you willing to follow him that far? Are you willing to be totally committed? The good news of Easter is that no matter what you have done, no matter how many times you've sinned and failed, God will forgive you. That's the message of the cross. That's the good news of the gospel. Are you living with guilt, with shame? Feeling like there's no way God could forgive you for this? There's no way that God would want you back after what you've done. Do you feel like you're just never going to be good enough? Jesus said, believe in me. Confess your sins. Admit that you need a Savior. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died and rose again for you, to forgive you, to restore you to a relationship with your Heavenly Father. He will forgive you. He will make you completely whole and clean again. If you've already trusted Jesus as your Savior, are you following Him each day? Have you failed to obey Him and done things that you think maybe disqualify you from serving Him? 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you ready to follow him to the end? Are you ready to ask for forgiveness and have a clean slate before God and say, today, today I will follow you and start each day that way. Lord, I want to follow you to the very end. Make a fresh start right now. Jesus said, follow me. Who's ready? Do I hear an amen? If you're ready, let's hear an amen. Amen. Mark's going to come and we are going to sing a closing song. Please bow with me in prayer. Who's ready to follow Jesus? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day that we could set aside to worship you. Thank you that we're here together, brothers and sisters. Some new folks that are new to us, some family members. Thank you that we have this example from your word of Peter, one of your closest disciples. Thank you for the honesty of the gospels, that we could see how Peter had his good days and his bad days. He struggled to follow you. He struggled to obey you. He struggled with his faith. And in believing, I thank you, Lord, that we see from Peter who reached his lowest point, even denying knowing you, that he could come back and be forgiven. That he could have an eternal life with you. That he could have a restored relationship with you. And I thank you, God, that you offer that to each one who's listening today. Each one of us not only to start a new relationship with you, but that we could wake up each morning and your mercies are new each day. You're ready to forgive us. You call us to follow you. I commit, Lord, to following you each and every day, and I pray that that's in the heart of each one that's listening. Worthy is the lamb who was slain and rose again to receive power and wealth and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing, to God the Father who sits on the throne, and to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, blessing and honor forever and ever. In the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the risen King, amen.